Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Husky Hardcore from Sports Illustrated Husky Maven Channel. My name is Trevor Mueller, and with me is my friend, Chris Haynes. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, Trevor, man, it's been a long time, man. <laughs> so, Chris and I, uh, man, it's been about 10 years since we uh, lived in the same town of Portland together, and uh, uh, we, we went to the same school for a while, and so... Uh, we go way back. Chris actually introduced me to college basketball by picking off my pass when I tossed it to the right side. He went down and dunked it on the other end. You remember that? Is that a true, that a true story, Trey? That's absolutely true. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it, man. That sounds about right. It was a great play. I'll tell you right now, if I pick off your pass now, I'm not finishing the way I did. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, I'm uh, – the ball's going to come slower either way, so uh, you're good to go. <laughs> a good layup, slap the glass still. Yeah, not, not floater, floater, floater. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks for coming on. Um, you spent a historic amount of time in a bubble uh, covering the NBA for TNT. Uh, I forgot to give your credentials. You're the senior um, NBA insider for Yahoo Sports. You're the face of the TNT. You're you're on the sidelines. You're the sideline reporter. Um, what was it like being in the bubble for over three months? It was. Um, I'll start with the good things. It was. Uh, it was a great experience just from the aspect that I was covering history. Um, something yeah. that was unprecedented. Um, we've never seen it before. We've never seen it done before. And especially in the early stages of the bubble, you just didn't know if it was going to have the staying power. You just didn't know if we would get to a point where the league was crowning a champion because it was the unknown. Um, so you have that, and then you have the social justice aspect of players taking it th within their own hands to try to initiate change in the, so social, in, in the justice system and speaking out on behalf of uh, people of color who are – being marginalized or a victim of police brutality. Uh, it, it was, you know, just from the one of few national um, black reporters that we have covering this league, it was very inspiring for me to see that and to be there covering it as well. And so um, to be able to document that, man, that's something that I would cherish. Now, as far as the, I was there for 106 days. I was, me and Malika Andrews of ESPN, we were the first two reporters there on site. We actually got there two weeks before um, the teams got there. So we spent 106 days in that bubble. And uh, Trev, that, that was problematic, man. That, that, was, uh, that was tough, man. You know, not, not being able to have your family um, there, the kids there, um, that, you know, that, 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 that was tough. I, I would say this, the last month in the bubble, I wasn't the easiest guy to be around, if you, if you know what I mean. It's just, it's just it, it, it took its toll. But and, I mean, knowing Chris, too, like, he's a pretty easygoing guy. He's really fun to be around. So, like, yeah. to see a grumpy Chris, I don't know if I – I've seen it maybe once or twice. Yeah, you've seen it a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen it a couple times. I did. Trev, I did. But, yeah, it was, it, was, it was tough, man. And, you know, like, it got to a point, I think probably about two months in, maybe a month and a half in where the players were allowed to bring their families um, inside the bubble. And that was cool. It, it was good to see them reunited, but it also like, it, it was kind of triggering for me because, you know, I'm seeing 
everybody embraced their kids and embraced their women as they come in. And it was mm -hmm. just like, I, back home, I had my 11 year old, nine year old continually asking me when am I coming home? You know, so yeah. it, that, 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 that was, that was tough. That was really tough, but I'm glad I made it out. And, you know, I did 106 days. The NBA was able to crown the champion. So, you know, it all worked out. And, you know, some of, some of the history that we have together, I, I know some of that, that racial inequality hit you in Portland. And I just want to ask you what it was like to be uh, covering those games when they decided to not come out onto the court. Yeah, that was uh, the Milwaukee Bucks Orlando Magic series yes. first round. Um, you know, it, that, that was interesting because I was, um, I wasn't there initially um, at that game. I was arriving because I was going to check out the game before. I mean, the game after it. And so I was planning on arriving, you know, mid midway in that sure. box. I mean, it's the Bucks and the Magic, you know. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> I ain't got to be there <laughs> at the beginning, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I so saw I was like, I saw it like I was in I was in my hotel room. Yeah. That's when it start breaking, you know, you know, start getting broke down of what was going on and and um looking back at it i should have known like i should have known something was going to happen like i didn't think th th this is the reason this is the reason why i didn't go early on because you know i was talking with teams and the players and i was like hey are there any plans of of boycotting are there any plans and it's like no nah, there's no plans and so i knew collectively that the players weren't doing anything mm -hmm. and so when the Bucks did that, I was shocked. I was like, "Hold on, man! I talked to a bunch of you know players from different teams that said that they weren't doing anything." Then it turns out, you know, Milwaukee did this on their own, and so that's that's why. So, um, to be there covering it while it was going on, like they waited in that locker room for such a long time. I forget the exact time, how long they were in that <laughs> locker room. And we were just waiting. So I, I ended up arriving there. So we, we were just waiting outside the locker room, not knowing what to expect. You know, they're, you know, they're in there talking to, um, you know, city officials, you know, in their, in their city and trying to get answers. Um, but as far, you know, we, I'm just walking around and, and the funny thing, Trev, so I had, I wasn't, I wasn't assigned to work for TNT that day. And I happened to have on a shirt, a black shirt that read all we ever did was be black. And so I was just wearing that during the, during the day. And so as we're waiting for the bucks, you know, TNT is about to go on air. Cause they were, they were going to, I believe they were going to air that game. Mm -hmm. And so they asked me to, can I come and give an update? And so I said, Hey, I, I will come, but I got this shirt on. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if this is right for T. And so I ended up, um, taking a picture of the shirt and sending it to Tara August, who, you know, boss lady, boss lady out there at TNT. She's like, nah, that, that's cool. That's appropriate. Go ahead. And awesome. so that's, that's how I ended up doing that. And um, it, it was proud to just be covering that uh, time, that event, just as a black man. And no, you know, Trev, you know, a little bit of my story, what I went through there in Portland. Right. So, um, you know, these things are real. Like every time we see these incidents where there are people of color who who are, you know, 
victims of police brutality or even worse, um, murdered um, by law enforcement. And, and I look at that every time and, and I always think that that could have been me. Easily, easily could have been me. Yeah. Um, luckily, I, I just got arrested, falsely arrested. And, um, you know, I got out three hours later or whatever it was, but it, it could have been much worse. So though those those type of things hit home for me. So it was such a blessing to cover these events, to see athletes speaking out, not just to see black athletes, to see people that don't look like you coming out supporting you, man, like the Cal Corvers, the J.J. Reddicks, um, Aaron Baines. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of guys that just it, it, it touched you know, as reporters, you're taught to stay away. You know, like it's not about you. You know, remove yourself from. But I, I can't. I'm a black man, and I've been through it. So I, I feel passionate about you know just how these guys were step, stepping up and and being there for those teammates. So it, it was it was an awesome thing to cover. Yeah, and I mean, just being obviously not in the NBA bubble, just watching you cover that was 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 a really cool thing to see as. Um, again, knowing your history and knowing what that meant to you. Um, it came through in your reporting. Uh, again, you didn't make it about yourself, but um, you're a part of it. And uh, it was really inspiring to see. Um, moving on to more of the basketball aspect is there was no issues of COVID-19 in that bubble. Um, it looks like the NBA really cracked the code on how to have sports in a pandemic. Uh, what do you think the NBA learned from that? And then I guess the other question is, when are they going to think about starting the 2020-2021 uh, season? Okay, let me ask you a second question. They're going to start uh, December 22nd. So that's, that's going to be the first, first day of the NBA season, 72-game uh, season. And so uh, there won't be an all-star game. Uh, there will be an all-star break. So it'll be, you know, a little bit, the season will be a little bit truncated, but they're, they're going to try to minimize the traveling. Um, I think it's going to be something like if you go to New York, you're going to play both New York teams. Yeah. You know, you try to get everything out the way when you're in that right. area. Um, to, your, to your first question about uh, what did they figure out, um, you know, while getting the restart up and running without any negative test results. Look, I think, what 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 the result was was that if you isolate everybody, put them in one bubble, they're tested every day. Mm -hmm. I think you can pretty much weed out, you know, positive COVID tests from popping up. And so, um, I think that's why they were able to have so much success, opposed to you know the NFL every now and popping up with some positive COVID tests, Major League Baseball, and you know, like. Like you, you lock everybody in the bubble, have them tested. You know, you have them practicing social distancing measures, and and and, and it worked. It, it worked, and um, I think that's what it is. Now the problem, Trev, moving forward is that you can't do a bubble for seventy-two games, eighty-two oh. games. You can't do that, and that's why they were able to pull that off, even though that was strenuous. But it was a restart, so you're finishing the season. You're not starting to fit you're not starting the season from start to finish in the bubble and so they won't have a bubble and they won't have fans initially in most arenas so that's going to be their way of making sure no positive tests pop up or trying to get you know just trying to reassure that 
uh, there's not a wide spread. And so um, I don't know how this is going to play out, Trev. I really don't. Because um, as of right now, the Lakers and the Clippers, I believe, are the only teams, maybe somebody else, but if I'm, I mean, my mind slips, but they're the only two teams that have announced already that they will start the season without fans. And so the Golden State Warriors, they are trying to implement a system where they're going to pay – you have to look it up. I forgot the number a crazy amount to get fans to get fans tested every fan to get tested Whoa. before going to the games like the day of or something like that you know what i mean so it's like uh, i just don't know how it's going to work but obviously you know go to state just the context on them the chase center opened up the new chase center opened up in san francisco last year mm-hmm. first year and the team wasn't that good so you know they lost some money Mm-hmm. Stephen Curry was out for the majority. Klay Thompson was out the whole year. Draymond Green was out for a, a lot of time. So, you know, they got some money to make up. So I, I can understand why they're trying to do this to get fans in the building. But I just don't know if that's going to work either. So, you know, the bubble worked, but now they're going to going into uncharted territory again. And I'm just – I'm not sure about this. You know, I'm not sure. Like, if they're not going to have fans in, I feel much more better about – what the results can be. But if they're still trying to implement fans and do all that, I'm, I just don't know. Now on the TV side, they pump in the crowd noise and it sounds like a, a semi-regular game. Um, at the at the court, it must sound a lot like a scrimmage. No, nah, it doesn't. Well, no, it doesn't sound like a scrimmage at all. It used to. So Dora, they had, um, what was those games called? It was – it was, pre- okay. it was like preseason games before the seeding game started mm-hmm. in the bubble. So during the, pre- the, the preseason games, there were, there were three games before they, they got into the, the seeding games in the bubble. In the preseason, there was no fake crowd noise. It was just all basketball. Mm-hmm. And that was fun because you heard everything. Yeah, you heard you heard players cussing out one another. You heard coaches going off on the refs, refs going back off on the players. Like it was lovely. Like that was really like just open gym. Yeah, where you hear the sneakers squeaking and everything. Yeah. Then when it got to the seeding games, and I, obviously I guess for TV, that's that's what it's for because you said, mm-hmm. and I've I've talked to multiple other people who said it really sounded like there were fans there. Mm-hmm. But when you're there, the noise just sounds so bad, man. It's it's unnecessary, man. Like, but it wasn't for us, you know. It's just the media there, so they don't care about what we hear. It's about it's about you guys. But it, it was just it, it was like you know you see the team going to run, the fake crowd noise would come up. Yep, and the players wasn't really responding to it. They know it was fake, you know. what I mean, so they didn't really do anything. But if it felt good, you know, if it was a good home experience, then. That's what it was for, but you know, uh, I, I definitely could have did without it. That's interesting. I didn't know that you guys could hear. I thought it was piped in on on our side. No, nah, it's piped in throughout, and it's loud. Yeah. It's piped in throughout the arena, and it's super oh. super loud. Like they're really trying to replicate it being like twenty thousand fans, you know, in in that place. But it was just, ah, oh. oh, it was bad. It was bad. But like I said, it wasn't for us. It's for the view, the viewing experience. Right. So, of course, the pandemic has done a lot to the NBA season. Uh, obviously, they 
stopped their season, started it back up. And that's also pushed back the NBA draft. And of course, Washington has two guys on their roster uh, that have declared early. They've left after one year. Of course, we're talking about Isaiah Stewart, the top prospect in that uh, recruiting class. And then Jaden McDaniels, the local prospect um, out of Seattle. So first, I want to start with um, Isaiah Stewart, um, because he was a really consistent force for Washington this season. Um, he, he looked good around the basket. He doesn't have a ton of range. Um, and he's six foot nine, um, but he's got pretty good footwork. So um, what are, what, what can he bring to the table? He's projected at uh, number 30 um, to the bucks. What, what does he bring and what have you heard uh, around about Isaiah Stewart? I've actually got to, I don't get to see much um, college basketball until the, the tournament starts. Sure. Um, but this year, it was it was it was funny. I went to I went to a, a Huskies game and saw those two play. It was the game they played against Oregon, and it went overtime. Yep, I believe. And I, I want to say, was it a buzzer beater? I yes. can't remember. It, Peyton, it was Pritchard, Peyton Pritchard three, yeah. Oh, boy, Peyton, yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness, man, yeah. that was a. Oh, uh, so I went the, I went up there because I was getting a um, Jamal Crawford was joining my podcast, and so oh, awesome. I was in town and I, I went to that game and that was unbelievable. My first time in my first time in that arena, that was an unbelievable atmosphere. Great game, obviously. But uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart, like you know, the first thing that came to my mind when I was watching him was, you know, Kenneth Faree. Like mm-hmm. just has a motor. The guy yeah. just keeps running. Undersized guy, but you know, he has enough dirt on his body where he can uh, bang. Um, he could absorb some of the, you know, absorb some of that banging as well. He was their real, he was their guy. He was, a, he's an energy guy. He's a guy throwing to a low post and he, he goes up there with force. He has nice footwork. He has pivots. Um, I think his pivots are probably a little bit more um, uh, accelerated than, than most bigs that, that are freshmen. So he was really the guy, you know, and, and you know, going around, you know, when you talk to execs, they believe he can be uh, a semi-force in the league. I think the problem is uh, what they don't know is that if if there's upside, if there's really upside, and that's what they see. They see a motor guy, motor guy, motor guy. And look, and there's all, obviously you can make a nice living, have a healthy career just being that guy. But, you know, in order to get, you know, to guarantee that you're a first-round pick, teams want to know that they want to – see some type of potential that you can do something beyond that because they don't know that at that size um, if he's going to be able to bang down there and just, you know, get his own basket like he was, you know, like he was able to do in college. And so, and like you mentioned, range and which in the NBA right now, you know, big man have to stretch the floor for the most part. And he hasn't shown that he, he can do that as of now. So I think that's why like most, most mock drafts, you're seeing them late first, early second. And um, I think his talent is first-round talent for sure. But when you're talking about freshmen leaving, underclassmen leaving, a lot of times they want to know if you have tremendous upside. And uh, 
But yeah, but Jaden Jaden McDaniels. Did you still want to talk about Stewart? Or do I, yeah. Do I move- so I had a couple of uh, couple ahead. of questions for you about Stewart. Um, first off, is his frame. The thing that I notice about him is he's got really really wide shoulders. Um, but I think uh, he looks he still looks skinny in my opinion to be able to uh, you know bang around with some of these guys at the NBA level. Because if you look at Kenneth Fareed, Kenneth Fareed is built. And um, I, I see Isaiah Stewart as the potential to put on uh, 10 pounds of really, really good weight uh, and be able to move around a little bit. Uh, but I like what you said about, you know, motor guys are, are important, but you don't pay motor guys. Uh, you don't yeah. spend a, you know, a, a top first round pick on one of those. Yeah. Not, not anymore. Not right. anymore. There used to be a time where that that was the case, but you know, you mentioned his wide shoulders. And that's why I feel like he can fill out. But then, yeah. like the, the NBA is changing so much, Trev. Like yeah. the game is changing. Players are evolving to the point where, like, there's not necessarily a need to be banging all the time, or right. to the need to bulk up a lot like you used to. You know, you look at some of the guys, you know, you got the Joker down there. You got Andre Drummond. You know, it's probably what you're stretching it if you can say there's 10 guys right. that you just have to worry about in the post like that. So mm-hmm. I don't see that being a problem. I just think the, the, the main thing is that they want to they want to know, like, what skill do you have aside from, like, just going hard, you right. know, <laughs> down the floor, you know, on both ends of the court. And so I think that that's his issue right there. But I, you know, I think he'll as he grows and matures. Obviously, he'll gain some weight. But uh, I don't really think that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and then moving over to Jaden McDaniel's, he is kind of that next evolution of basketball player. He's he's almost six foot ten. Um, on good nights, he looks like Kevin Durant. On bad nights, he's dribbling into triple teams. So. What do what what's kind of the take on him? He's he's projected at seventeen on Yahoo.com uh, to the Timberwolves. Um, what are you hearing about Jaden McDaniels? Well, Jaden McDaniels, you look at if you look at their pro, their productivity in college, and you know obviously Stewart, you know right. perform you know much better, but it goes back to that upside. That's mm-hmm. where. Jaden has it, and that's why he's a first-round pick. But you look at him, 6'9", 6'10", could potentially play the two-guard position. But you mentioned Kevin Durant. That's what I was, that's what I'm saying. So I went to I went to um, I went to that game with an agent, and that's what they were saying. Like people comparing him to Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant. And so you know when you compare somebody to Kevin Durant, you know I <laughs> I follow Kevin Durant for two right. years in Golden right. State. And so I'm looking at him, I'm like, oh, you know, look, I'm not looking for Kevin Durant. I'm right. not looking for that, but I'm looking for size. And and he wasn't aggressive enough. Right. Like he just wasn't, you know, he can shoot okay, but mm-hmm. I didn't really, that game, I didn't really see anything special. Mm-hmm. I see that he can put the ball on the ground as a 6'9 guy, and he's super long and, you know, can play multiple positions. Right. And – for that, that's upside and being young. So you see the skill set, but there was nothing great that I saw. But, you know, there's not too many guys at 6'9", 6'10", can, can, you know, do what I said, you know, prior just now. But what I want to see him, I want to see uh, a more fluid jump shot, more consistent jump shot to be more aggressive. 
and um, you know, more better playmaking skills, particularly in the pick and roll. So he can, he can do that and defend at a high level because you six nine, you got to be able to defend and pr- preferably defend, you know, one through three. And maybe sometimes because he's so tall, though, maybe some of those fours as well. But uh, he that that's that's the knock on him is just you know how aggressive is he going to be? But look, when you look at all the intangibles, the skill set, I mean, he has it. It's just that, you know, he has to put it all together. And I'm glad you brought up his defense because even when he was struggling on the offensive end, uh, I think some of that was due to a lack of weapons around him, uh, especially after um, the point guard whose name I'm blanking on all of a sudden uh, was ruled academically ineligible. Um, You know, it was him and Stewart were the bulk of the offense and, and trying to create was really hard. I think that when he gets to that next level, you get a little bit open up. You have offensive threats. I think he's going to be able to break guys down one-on-one. But on the defensive side of the ball, even when he was struggling, um, he was able to uh, affect the game on the defensive side of the ball, whether I was going up and getting blocks or staying with his guy. And that's something that with a kid with his demeanor uh, was something I thought was a, uh, something that GMs would look favorably at. No, for sure. And that's what, you know, that's in this, in this day and age in the NBA where you got so many guys, it's a positionless sport now where you got so many guys who can play multiple positions and defend multiple positions. That is a supreme skill set to have right now. And so when you look at this guy right there, when you have the lateral speed and the quickness to move his feet and play multiple positions, that man, that that's a supreme skill. And, um, you, you you just hope that if he can put it all together, he can be some some special. Because again, most six nine guys, six ten, however he is, however tall he is, legitimately, they can't move like that. Right. They can't dribble like that. They can't shoot like that. So if he can put it all together, that's why um, you know he's going to be a first round pick. I don't see many. I don't matter of fact, I haven't seen a mock draft where he's not a first round guy. Right. So uh, you know he he he's legit. He he should be okay. I just want to see him put it together. Awesome. And then the last thing, uh, Washington has been putting a lot of guys in the NBA. As of right now, if you were going to pick Mr. Basketball in the NBA from the University of Washington, who is that guy? Mr. Basketball. Wow. You know what? Off the top of my head, and I'm glad you said that, man, because Washington doesn't get a lot of, you know, a lot of credit, man, for the players they produce, man, right. in that area, especially not to get the the, the TV views that they, they should be getting, man. Cause they, but Mr. Basketball, I'm going to go with, man. I mean, can you go wrong with Brandon Roy? Oh man. I mean, <laughs> no, oh, I, on, he, he's Mr. Basketball. Uh, absolutely. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, look at his resume, man. Yeah. Look at his resume. I mean, I know the NBA career was cut short, but mm-hmm. his resume speaks for itself. He's still, he's still there in the area. Oh, he was at that game. He yeah. was at that game, sitting courtside. I went down there and talked to him. So that's my first time talking to him in a while, man. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed myself when I went up there. But um, I mean, Brandon Roy. But look, man, look, Jamal Crawford. I mean, that's 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 the mayor uh, of Seattle, man. I, oh yeah, y'all produce Jason Terry, man. Yeah. Like, come on, man, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Uh, you know, God, it's it's a lot, but like. Who who would you say over Brandon Roy? Who am I missing? 
I, I mean, the other one that I would say uh, would probably – that could be in that conversation is Isaiah Thomas. I think uh, uh, I, I, yeah, if, I, if, I, if Jamal Crawford went to the University of Washington instead of Michigan, it, yeah, it's Jamal yeah. Crawford. Yeah, for sure, for sure, yep. for sure. And, I mean, Jason Terry, if he if he stayed in – you yeah. know, if he stayed in – he'll be right there as well. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, but I said – I just picked Brandon Ward because went to Washington and yeah. went down the street. Had his career, you know, all-star career in Portland, and maybe one day, you know, well, one day he will have his jersey retired. You, you can't go wrong, Brandon Wood. But no, nah, Washington produces man cats at an alarming rate mm-hmm. to be so small up there. You know, so yeah. I, man, I, I, I give them props. I love, I love going down there. I love the games that um, Jamal Crawford uh, puts together down there every yeah. summer. And uh, one thing about. I forgot Jamal. Jamal told me they have a, it's a mentoring program. I forgot what the, the name of it, but you know they get they get these nice young talents in the area, like at eleven and twelve. Mm-hmm. The NBA players do like Jamal Crawford, yeah. Jason Terry's there, and they like mentor them. Like they make yeah. sure like Jamal got a hold to Dejounte when yep. he was Dejounte Murray when he was in sixth grade. Yep, and you look at you know about Dejounte Murray's story, his upbringing. He was on mm-hmm. my pod and. Revealed, you know, he was gangbanging over there in that area and how Jamal Crawford kind of got him out of that. And um, and so it's just they, – they do a great job over there, man, and just trying to protect the kids, like the kids that, that need a way to get out. They do they do a good job of protecting them and, and being there for them. So that, that's – that's somebody should really do a documentary on on um, the, the, the cats that come out of um, Washington because um, there's some phenomenal talent. And that's a really interesting take because we had um, we had that class of uh, Washington freshmen that uh, David Crisp, um, Noah Dickerson, Matisse Thibel, uh, and they talked about that brotherhood that they have there and how Noah Dickerson, as soon as he he caught a lob from David Crisp at, a, at an open gym, he knew he was coming to Washington yeah. and um, immediately was immersed in that uh, in that culture. And uh, so it's adopted sons and then it's from the area, from that Seattle Tacoma area um, that really look out for each other. And um, uh, uh, David Crisp even told us that when uh, DeJounte Murray and um, uh, uh, Marquise Chris were uh, thinking about going to the draft, they wanted to stay because they loved it at Washington, Mm -hmm. but everybody on that team told them they had to go. Yeah, because yeah. you have to look at the end of the day, you have to support yourself. And um, that just shows us. And what they said was if those guys got hurt that year that they told them to come back because they could really make some noise, how would they feel going oh, forward sure. doing that? to uh, them? And that, that's good advice. And that, that's good. You, you want somebody always looking out for your best interest, not, mm-hmm. not the school or program, but no, I'm the, you mentioned Matisse Thibault, you know, that's my guy, man. Yeah. Yeah, that guy all, already, is one of the best defenders, perimeter defenders in the NBA, man. Yeah. People didn't know if if his style of defense was going to be able to translate because they played zone. Right. They played zone defense there at Washington. Um, but he's shown, you know, broke Gary Payton's record. I, I was speak. I was talking. I was texting back and forth with Gary Payton, like when Matisse was on his way of catching him. I'm yeah. like, GP, <laughs> you yeah. you're going down, GP. Like, yeah. You know, like y'all know Gary, man. Gary say whatever on his mind. It's funny to get the responses that I was getting, but you know, I was trolling him. But M- Matisse Thibault is the real deal, man. And I'm I'm so happy for him, man. And um, 
you know, another guy, you know, my first time I really started watching Husky basketball was uh, when Nigel Williams Gossel was playing there. And, uh, you know what? I don't know if you're going to go here, but I was going to bring this up. We were playing <laughs> we were playing basketball together when you go, oh, yeah. hey, he's going to Gonzaga. Yeah. Oh, I told you that? Yeah, you got the text while we were playing like a pickup oh, game. Yeah. <laughs> That's my guy, man. Good good family. And, um, you know what I mean? He, I think he's going to do some pretty good things. I think he'll get a lot more chance, opportunity to play with the Utah Jazz and, but uh, that was that was when I really started, you know, checking up on you know, because I was in Portland at the time, and yeah, it had you and Josh Burhan. That's all y'all were talking about was Huskies, Huskies, Huskies. <laughs> I'm like, Man, let, me, let me see what y'all about. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, it is awesome to catch up with you. Uh, it's awesome to you know watch your career as you've grown from uh, Portland on talking talking ball with. Uh, Dwight James to where you are now. It's been a real pleasure to watch you um, grow into uh, really one of the, the, the Titans of uh, the NBA industry right now. No, I appreciate that Trev, man. You you already know, man, look like you look like you're on your way as well, man. So uh, <laughs> if I can ever be an assistant, man, you know, we, we teammates for life, man. It's all awesome. Good. Awesome. Uh, Chris, where can people find your work? Uh, you know, just follow me on Twitter um, yep. at Chris B. Hangs and um, on Instagram at Chris B. Hangs NBA. You know, I'm, I'm I got my hand a little bit of everything, so you I'm pretty sure hopefully I can have something for you content wise. But no, nah, Trev, thanks for having me, man. All best of luck to you.